0: Welcome to Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit
1: GaiaDisclosure.com. Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. You know, there is one subject that captures the imagination of everybody, and that is cryptids, creatures. And we've got an expert, the world renowned Lauren Coleman. He's a cryptozoologist, and he studies these strange creatures. Lauren, welcome to the program. George, it's great being here with you. I've got to tell you, when you are on Coast to Coast with me on the radio show, and as often as you've been on, I get so much response after you're on from people who just love these stories of Bigfoot and Mothman and all these other creatures?
0: I I do, too. A lot of emails, a lot of communication. Uh, They listen, and they want more.
1: How did you get involved in this? Was there one case a long time ago that just got you interested
0: in this? It actually happened through a movie. In 1960, I saw a movie called Half Human, a Japanese film. I went to school the next day and said, what is this about yetis in the Himalayas? <laughs> and three teachers said three different things. They don't exist. Get back to your studies. Leave me alone.
1: <laughs> so They don't want to hear no, it. No,
0: they didn't want to hear about it. But I did. I, I started reading and started investigating cases, doing all kinds of field work.
1: I'm much like you. I was 10 years old when that movie came out but I was obsessed with the abominable snowman. Yes. And I think that creature was whitish, right? Had a lot of white hair?
0: Well, that's one of the myths. Uh, the actual native peoples always described them as black to reddish brown. But because of one movie, most Americans think that the Yetis are white. That movie is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. huh Because bumbles were always white.
1: Now, you're into cryptozoology. Yes. Which means you must be an expert on bitcoins and things. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Are people people
0: confusing that nowadays? Yes, yes. It's it's really routine. I go online, go on social media, say, just because I'm crypto Lauren doesn't mean that I'm into crypto bits and crypto coins. Exactly
1: what is cryptozoology?
0: Cryptozoology is the study of hidden or unknown animals. We look for the evidence to actually verify and confirm new species. Like the giant panda, the mountain gorilla, the giant squid, those used to be cryptids. They used to be unknown creatures, and then they were discovered and they become part of zoology. So the whole goal of cryptozoology is to be out there, to talk to native people, to look for physical evidence, and to really do a better job of really describing what's in nature.
1: And they're out there. They're out there. What's so, this, this planet is so immense. Yeah. Uh, we would think, you know, we're naive to think that we know every creature that's out here. There must be so many that we haven't even discovered. It's endless.
0: Absolutely. And there's new discoveries every day. Uh, they found a new songbird in Central Park. They found a new turtle uh, down in Mississippi. And that's the little ones in America that people forget about. Exactly. But there was a new tapir, which is the, the creature with the little snout discovered in Brazil just three years ago. New animals, new apes, all the, all the time.
1: We use the phrase cryptids a lot. What
0: are they? Cryptids is just a word to describe the animals that cryptozoology is looking for. Uh-huh. But it, it also has the connotation that they're unknown. For instance, if I get a sighting from a lake and somebody sees an object in that lake, it's a cryptid until we can figure out, is that an alligator? Is it an unknown creature? Is it just a wave and a mistake? So their cryptids really describes the unknown part of it. The Loch Ness Monster,
1: would it still be considered a cryptid? Oh, yeah. Until at this point, until it's identified.
0: Absolutely, because it's not been identified, and it's not conclusively been proven to be a hoax, even though a lot of people come forward every two years saying they know the answer for the Loch Ness Monster.
1: Well, that brings up another question, too, because so many people see so many different things. They're seeing something, whether it's Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Mothman. We'll get into Mothman. You've got a new book out on that. What are they seeing?
0: Well, even within any category of cryptid, you have people seeing multiple experiences. In other words, you can say you saw the Loch Ness Monster, but it could be something with humps, it could just be a large body uh, on the surface of the water, or it could be waves. So even within any category, there's different manifestations. But all across cryptozoology, there's literally hundreds of different cryptids, uh, different expeditions out there, different studies going on, different people writing different books. So there's a vast universe in cryptozoology.
1: What is it, Lauren? What is it that drives people to look for these creatures?
0: I really think that it's a combination of two things. People are always interested in mysteries and uh, Great majority of humans are interested in animals. So you have the combination put together with this enormous, curious passion. You want to discover what's going on. You want to find the cryptid. You want to know the answer to your questions. And so there's, when I started this in 1960, Ivan Sanderson and I would talk about it. Right. And there would a handful of people, five, six There's thousands around the world now interested in cryptozoology.
1: You would think, though, with thousands of people investigating that we would find these creatures once
0: and for all. We do. We find them all the time. It's just that the celebrity cryptids, as I call them, you know, Bigfoot, Yeti, Loch Ness Monster, and the sea serpents aren't found, and they're still kind of on a shelf. For instance, can you imagine what science feels about a creature called
1: Bigfoot. I know.
0: Uh, so we're already up against the wall with the name.
1: All right, let's talk about Bigfoot for a second. Sure. You have taught us uh, of a creature called Gigantus pithicus, right? Yes. Which is an ape-like animal down in the Florida region. People are seeing a creature. There's no doubt in my mind they're seeing something that looks ape-like. Um, I don't think there's morons running around in ape-like costumes all the time because they're going to get shot at. Yeah, if something's especially gonna in the happen. South, yes. So folks are looking at this, but why can't we get one of them? And I don't necessarily say let's shoot it and capture it that way, but why can't we find one and say, here you go, world, look.
0: I think they're very elusive. They're very intelligent. I mean, if you think of all of the apes or the primates, the one that's closest to the intelligence of humans has to be Bigfoot. Uh, Right. Grover Krantz and I once talked about statistically, for every 10,000 black bear, there's one Bigfoot. And if you remember that case of the Atlanta bomber, Mm -hmm. he hid in the woods of North Carolina for three years. And here you had the whole United States government looking for this one man. And they couldn't find him. They couldn't find him. How was he finally found? He was raiding a garbage dump. Right. And that's, that I think is how you're going to find Bigfoot. Uh, A lumber truck is going to hit one on a road. One is going to be near uh, some kind of area of eating and will get shot. But it's There's no concerted effort right now. There's no money, there's no museums, there's no zoos looking for these animals the way they were during the Victorian age. It's kind of haphazard. And that's not a good way to look for a new animal.
1: How do most people describe Bigfoot, Lauren, in terms of its appearance?
0: Well, in general, Bigfoot is six and a half to eight feet tall. That's for the adult. Uh, The colors are black to reddish brown. Uh, their hair all over their bodies. Sometimes they're talked about as having a slightly pointed head and some vocalizations that seem to be a primitive form of communication. Uh, They have footprints that are like our human footprint, but 18 to 20 inches long. The Yeti, for instance, has a footprint that's more like our 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 hand is Uh uh, more like an ape. And so that's where you have the distinction. In Florida, you have the skunk ape. And then all across the south, the lower south, you have the booger, the honey island swamp monster. Those are all ape-like anthropoids that have feet that look like this, that look like your hand.
1: How are people describing the face of this thing?
0: A lot of people think that they're human-like, but they're really not. There's more hair all over the face of Bigfoot. Uh, Their nose is much flatter. It doesn't have the hood to it like humans do. Is it more ape-like? Much more ape-like. There's actually some considered opinion that if you look at some of the old drawings, their face comes forward much more like a chimpanzee or a gorilla.
1: What about the DNA?
0: Well, for one thing... One of the reasons that people respect me in this field is that I'm open-minded but skeptical. Right. Her results have really been disputed, and I'm on the side of the just to pursuit.
1: Yes. Uh, it's more like a bear or something like well, that? Well,
0: her, her conclusions that the Bigfoot DNA that she found is part angel and part Neanderthal just doesn't go. Brian Sykes, who did the follow-up right. study, really did a good job. Uh, we don't know what Bigfoot is. But DNA is the future. We need to catch Bigfoot through the DNA first. I agree with her, we shouldn't be killing them. I'm in the no-kill I agree. I
1: I hate it when people call the show and say, I'm going to go out and shoot Bigfoot. And I go, no, 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 no. Absolutely. I'd rather it escape before you kill it.
0: Her work actually destroyed about 130 samples, that if we would have tested them more correctly, we might have had some good samples. Really? Yes. Okay. And so a lot of people do not like what she did. But there's that's part of Bigfoot. Uh, you know, Bigfoot studies is that there's conflict between different divisions, and the people in it are sometimes as interesting to study as the creatures. I mean, one of the downsides of all of the cell phones and all of the videotaping that has occurred is it's actually lowered the quality. In 1967, whenever um, the Patterson-Gimlin film was taken, that was done with a real camera, so you can actually enhance it with a computer. Those film analyses really is the gold standard
1: do you think we'll ever find out exactly what's going on with a creature like bigfoot
0: i think so but a lot of people lack patience nowadays it's kind of the twitter mtv generation where people want the results instantaneous yet we know that it took 70 some years to discover the giant panda the mountain gorilla Mm -hmm. Uh, And those were concerted efforts. You have what's going on now, a lot of this quickness to it, but we have to be patient. It's like building the pyramids. It's not going to happen overnight.
1: Are we still getting stories of the abominable snowman in the Himalayas? I haven't heard anything in a long time.
0: They're not as frequent. Uh, There is a, a body of people that think the yetis have all gone extinct and maybe, maybe so. What we do know is going on is that some of the DNA analysis is showing that there's bears involved in a higher, uh, you know, number than what people were thinking about in the 20s and the 50s, that there are some kind of new bears over there that may be an answer to some of the yetis. And actually, a lot of the people talked about three kinds of yetis, a smaller one, uh, the Metal, the man like one, and the Denzel Tail, which was taller, and that may be a giant unknown bear, which would be just as exciting. It
1: would be exciting. Yeah. It, it sure would yeah. be. You've established a crypto museum in Portland, Maine. Right. Tell me about the museum.
0: Well, in 2003, I decided I had so many things from almost 60 years of collecting that I founded the International. Cryptozoology Museum, and now it's at Thompson's Point, Portland, Maine. It has ten thousand artifacts from all over the world. Uh, Yeti material has Sir Edmund Hillary's hair samples, Tom Slick hair samples from fifty nine and sixty. Yep. Yeah. and then uh, we have a model of a Bigfoot that's eight foot tall. That's the Crookston Bigfoot from Minnesota. And those kinds of things went into the museum and we slowly over the years, we're now uh, an established site. Uh, we actually, two years ago, built a museum from the ground up, two stories tall. Uh, it's in- um,
1: Public can go? Oh, yeah, Anybody definitely. It's go.
0: open to the public. It's a 501c3. It's a nonprofit. It's the only nonprofit cryptozoology museum in the world. And it's, it definitely became- uh, you know, if I will build it, they will come. It's just been Perfect. so fantastically popular.
1: What fascinates people the most when they go through the museum? Well,
0: you, there are personal favorites. Some people like the mermaids. Some people like the Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster. But you have all kinds of favorites according to your own interest. Chupacabras, for instance, sure. really fascinate people.
1: That fish was interesting. Yeah, the it coelacanth. It had little bitey teeth, too, didn't yes. it?
0: Oh, yes. The coelacanth Ouch. is actually closer related to you than it is to bony fish because it it is you're
1: saying i look like one of no, these no, fish no, oh.
0: no you're a human it's, <laughs> it's more closely related to humans than uh than uh, regular fish because they're very ancient they're like lungfish. huh so
1: is it still around or oh is yes it extinct
0: they uh 1938 they found the first one uh, as far as Western science, the locals have been eating them. Uh, they thought it tasted awful, so they put a lot of spices on it. They call it gambasa. They have now found about 250. And most of them are in museums now because they're such a rare, important fish in terms of cryptozoology and zoology that uh, they don't eat them anymore. They don't uh, kill them and cut right. them up. They They preserve them. How big are they? Uh, like that? No, it's five and a half to six feet long
1: no yes
0: they're gigantic
1: that's a big fish yeah very big and what about colors
0: uh, well the funny thing is in 1998 they discovered a whole new species off of indonesia that's more brown but that original color of the ones from the, the 30s. It looked a little bluish, yeah, did Very blue, metallic blue. The unfortunate thing is when they die and they often, they're a deep, deep sea fish, they come to the surface, swim around and die, they turn brown. So a lot of people think that they're, they're brown because actually they're on stamps nowadays and most of the stamps they show them as blue, but there was one country that made the mistake and showed them as brown.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, how does science find these creatures? They stumble into them, I guess, right? Right.
0: Well, that one, for instance, in South Africa, there's a little museum. And a woman who was a director would go down to the the shore, the, you know, the dock every day and see people that would dump their fish hauls, And right in the middle of one of these piles of fish was a coelacanth. And it was... Bright blue. A smaller one,
1: no doubt. No, no. It
0: was the actual first one. We have the replica of the first one, five and a half feet long. And she said, I I walked down there, so I had to put it in the back of a taxi to get back to the museum. And so she didn't make a taxi driver very happy, but she discovered it. She found out that it was a fish from 65 million years ago that nobody had seen. That's exciting. Yeah, it was very exciting. That's exciting. What other
1: exciting things are out there, do you think, as a cryptozoologist? What would just knock your socks off?
0: I think that we're very close to finding some of the things that are being called sea serpents. I think there's probably Uh a long, maybe not 60, 100 feet long, but 20 feet, 40 feet long, that may be an ancient whale, a prehistoric whale. We're finding new dolphins. All the time. Right. So it's quite exciting to think there could be a new fish that's not a fish, but actually a mammal, because people are making a mistake all the time. Sea serpents and lock monsters and lake monsters actually go through the water like this.
1: Could be a big eel, right? Well,
0: well what we know is the fish and reptiles go through the water like this. Okay. And so what is unknown is some kind of large mammal. So the whole misnomer of saying sea serpent, they're not reptiles. It's some kind of sea monster that is probably a large unknown seal or a large unknown whale. And I think because there's so much going on in the oceans now, it's really the new outer space. Uh, They're pouring money into exploring the oceans versus outer space right now. And so we'll find something.
1: 20,000 leagues under the sea. We would talk about huge squid-looking objects and stuff. What do you think the biggest squid might be in terms of from tentacle to the back of the body?
0: Well, they have reports off of New Zealand of ones that are over 100 feet long.
1: 100 100 feet? 100 feet
0: long. We know that they've found ones that are 40 feet
1: long. And do they wrap around ships and stuff?
0: They could. They could, and they certainly seem to wrap around whales and have fights. And so you find huge scars from these large, uh, you know, squid. And squid is, of course, something that Jeez. we've found more recently. Uh, and so that's a new cryptid that became a real animal.
1: How'd you like that calamari for dinner, <laughs> huh?
0: I don't eat meat.
1: <laughs> from my hundred foot squid. Yeah, yeah. How big are their eyeballs?
0: Uh, they're, they keep using the word dinner plates, but the dinner plates keep getting bigger because... Their eyes and they're very intelligent. They're very, you know, as far as any invertebrate, they're the most intelligent. Really? One. yes. And so they're thinking. They seem to remember. They remember some of their enemies, as far as certain fish.
1: Could they attack a swimmer?
0: They could. They could. Most of them don't uh, because they they use flight as opposed to fight. Uh, the reason that they get in fights huh. with whales is because the whales eat them. Like well, the big, do. Sp- the big sperm whale. They're but mostly... Who you know, wins the fights
1: most uh, of the time? 50-50.
0: Really? But I think most of the time the, the sperm whales eat them.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, and what would, a, what would a squid eat?
0: Well, would a squid eat, eat anything that gets in its way? No, they eat a lot of little fish. They eat, uh, right. you know, plankton some of them probably. So.
1: I mean, if... When you say it could be 100 feet long, the tentacles are how long?
0: Well, that would include some of the tentacles. The right. Giant squid have two extremely long tentacles that go out. And a lot of squid, they lose those in the fights with the sperm whales. But the actual squid, uh, upwards of 80 feet, you know, without the long ones going out further, they're they're massive. And, uh, you know, some of the missing swimmers and some of the missing uh, divers could be regarding uh those squid that's amazing danger yeah
1: when you look at all the cryptids that you've studied what is uh, some of your favorite
0: ones well i'm very much into first love and we all are and so yetis are always going to be my favorite i also really do acknowledge that humans are narcissistic and the favorite cryptid for most people is bigfoot because Bigfoot has this reflective, noble, savage, you know, it's a hairy version of us. Right. And so people Somewhat human, somewhat animal. And I I know after 15 years at the museum, people come in, the number one thing that they want to talk about is Bigfoot uh, because they want to know, you know, where they are. Have I seen one? I haven't. I found footprints and all of that. But it very much is a focus for a lot of people. But then you go off, uh, you know, people from New Jersey like to talk about sure. the New Jersey Devil, uh, which is kind of a conglomerate of uh, a flying horse. Uh, really, 1909 was when the, uh, the Jersey Devil reports were. People from New Mexico and, and Arizona want to talk about chupacabras. So you get the local favorites that keep coming up. Uh, And that's very much my favorite. I I think one of the things that does happen to me in the field is that cryptozoology is so exciting. Every day there's a new cryptid report. Every day there's uh, old ones to review. Like I was just reading this morning, we're in the the dozen-year anniversary for Pine Ridge, uh, South Dakota, uh, reports of Bigfoot. Uh, The native peoples, which are closer to the earth and closer to some of their spiritual ancestors, have some very good reports that are ongoing, and they keep it quiet because Bigfoot is part of their landscape. They don't
1: want the publicity. They don't want
0: the publicity. They don't want uh, the tribal police are the ones that talked to me a lot 10 years ago and 12 years ago. They were getting reports with their new uh, drug enforcement equipment as far as their dash cams. They were recording they were some of things. Them. They were seeing That's them. exciting. And it was very exciting. And then they got so much attention from the rest of the population, they shut it down because they wanted to keep, they call it big man or tall man. They wanted to shut down their Bigfoot reports.
1: John Keel brought us Mothman Prophecies yes. and, of course, opened up an entire genre of cryptozoology with this creature. And you've got a new book coming out on Mothman.
0: Yeah, it just came out. It's uh, called Mothman Evil Incarnate. Oh. oh yeah. In 2002, I did my first Mothman book in conjunction with Stony Screen Gems. I remember that. Because they wanted the real story about Mothman. But what I noticed afterwards, and including... I think a program with you uh, where bad luck always happens in these programs. Uh, I go upstairs in my uh, house after I was talking to you, and the light bulb
1: bursts. (laughs)
0: But also what's more important uh, in the book, I actually list the hundred people connected to the Mothman story who have died. Tragically, too. Tragically. And, uh, you know, suicides, youthful, you know, mysterious illnesses. A lot of the movies talk about curses, the poltergeist What's curse. Wasn't there a bridge
1: collapse involved in one oh, of these? Oh, yes, yeah. yes.
0: That was in 1967. Uh, it was actually exactly 13 months after the first publicized Mothman sightings. You had the bridge collapse. Forty-six people died on that bridge. Uh, it also, they found out the cause of that collapse was I-bar 13 broke. And really? And the other thing, Mary Heyer Hmm. uh, was the reporter that was in conjunction with John Keel doing all of that. And she died very mysteriously at 42 years of age, two times 13, 26 months after the bridge collapsed.
1: That's weird.
0: And the director of the Mothman Prophecies movie, uh, Mark Pellington, the summer after the movie came out, his wife got a very mysterious illness, died rapidly at 42 years old. How away. do you
1: explain these bizarre anomalies?
0: Uh, we don't know. And that's why I tried to say in the book, they're all very mysterious. It's almost as if the cryptid Mothman has really morphed into almost a spiritual fear animal that has energy and entities. Everybody that is connected with in-depth Mothman stories and investigations tend to have accidents. Uh, I I lost a younger brother. I lost a mother. Um, I lost some people close to me as I was doing these investigations. They sometimes, sometimes, whatever they is, uh, Mothman doesn't actually go for the eyewitness or go for the investigator. The bad luck happens around them. Yeah. So the week that, for instance, the Mothman movie came out in 2002, the city of Point Pleasant was overwhelmed with a lot of funerals because of a lot of eyewitnesses, brothers and sisters were dying Who very died. mysteriously.
1: That's bizarre. Yeah. Defining logic and odds. Right?
0: And statistics. Because like the Exorcist movie, the Poltergeist movie, they talk about those curses. It's usually four or five people. You have 100 people connected with Mothman that have died. That's too much. It, it does get scary and overwhelming. And I, I'm not one to usually get scared uh, because people often ask me, Well, what would you do if you met Bigfoot? I would go interview it. I wouldn't run, you know, so. But Unless Mothman, it was coming
1: at you. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mothman's a little different, there's something more sinister around it.
1: It seems to be. Yeah. And uh, with this creature, has anybody ever tried to tie in extraterrestrials with it?
0: Oh, that sure. That it might
1: be you know, some kind of being from another world?
0: Well, the whole thing about Mothman is it lends itself to extraordinary explanations. You have the men in black. You have UFOs going up and down the Ohio River yeah. Valley. You have John Keel being involved, who was... Um, He actually, I interviewed him a lot before he died for my books, and he said, I'm not a ufologist, Lauren. I'm a demonologist. He felt he was- That was his expertise. Yeah. Yeah. He he felt he was actually looking into the Mothman as a demonic form, as a ultra-terrestrial, as he called it.
1: Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today, they still seem to hold back on these incredible stories? Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit
0: GaiaDisclosure.com.
1: This creature kind of described what it apparently looks like.
0: Well, the thing, if you back up into the Mothman story, you find out that before all of this demonology happened, um, John Keel was talking to Ivan Sanderson and giving him this description. It's about six feet tall. It's bird-like. It has two large wings that come down to its side. It seems to be able to go right up by making its wings go out and then flying very quickly. It can chase a car down the highway 60 to 100 miles an hour. Whoa. Uh, It has two eyes that most people describe as red, but it's always red glowing from other forms of light, like, you know, headlights on a car, street light, whatever it's like that. So it was an animal-like creature, and so Sanderson was saying, I think it's a big bird. I mm-hmm. think it's some kind of unknown like bird. Like
1: a big owl or something. Yeah, like
0: actually that. an owl. There's a friend of mine who, uh, who died in the last two years, Mark Hall, who wrote a book on Thunderbirds, and he did a whole chapter yes. about Mothman. He called it Big Oot. And it wasn't a joke. He really was trying to say, this was a giant owl. There were owls that were four feet tall in Cuba, prehistoric times. And so it could be one of those. But what quickly evolved is that Keel found out that people were dying, people were committing suicide, people were um, actually reporting Bigfoot in the same area, were reporting cattle mutilations, were reporting that they would... Called Men in Black, and so all of that was going on, and so these different theories: was it a CIA experiment? Was it that uh, went awry? Yeah. Maybe? Was it uh, UFO involved aliens?
1: So, th- so this this creature, this Mothman creature, that could be extraterrestrial, could be a large owl, could be anything. Um, as you write in your book, Mothman: Evil Incarnate, you suspect that all these tragedies that have occurred have something to do with Mothman, don't you?
0: I definitely think there's a difference with Mothman. It's not a regular sort of cryptid. There's almost a psychological component to Mothman reports that nobody's really touched, and that's what I try to do in the book. It's really evil incarnate. It's really something about Mothman makes people experience evil or actually has evil around them. Bad things happen. And that's... It's just the facts.
1: It's not bad luck. It's got to be something else. Yes. Right? Right. You know, and we don't know yet. I don't believe in coincidence, Lorne. Right. And uh, one would say, well, come on now, these things will happen. But 100 people, that's crazy.
0: Yes, the statistics really go in favor of it looking like there's enemy action. You know.
1: Has anybody described what the feet look like?
0: Well, that's one of the things that I studied and talk about in the book, is that in the early days, which I mean sixty six and sixty seven, it was really seen as having wings, not having a head, but actually having a, a sort of slight depression, and the head would come out of the chest. Uh, that you can imagine that's, an that's owl like looking kind of one. like
1: an owl. Yeah, right? yeah.
0: And yet, what has happened? The eyewitnesses as they were interviewed over and over and over on these reality TV shows, have come up with human-like
1: descriptions
0: that weren't there before. They talk about a head. They talk about feet. They even now have images of Mothman with hands at the ends of the wings.
1: Still wings, yeah. Yeah,
0: But all of that is really part and parcel of the media contagion that occurs, that there's really something going on with people uh, elaborating the story and making it more fantastic. And actually, early cryptozoologists in the 20s and 30s would talk about most of these cryptids, most of these creatures that were seen by native peoples, Western society takes it in and makes them fantastic. Yes. The abominable snowman, for instance, is just a local ape like creature. But Western it's a people. The legend now. The legend and, now, Western people brought it in and made it gigantic and made it white and made it horrific. And that's what Western society does to it. And you know, it's there's happened that, with that, that
1: old adage that if you have 30 people lined up and you tell a story to one and they pass it through, it's totally different by the time you get to the other end could be this way with Mothman,
0: too. Oh, I definitely think it's true. And I think we see it in a lot of ghost stories and UFO stories. Almost anything in what now is called the paranormal really gets exaggerated. And certainly some of these reality TV programs uh, live on that. Yes. They live on it being more allowed. When I think the mystery itself... The, the factual mystery of these creatures is enough to keep me going and enough to keep a lot of people Would
1: going. you be shocked or surprised if Mothman ended up being a large bird?
0: No, I wouldn't. And I think that part of the story of Mothman is a large bird. And what I do in my books is look back to the 1920s, back to 100 years ago when the native peoples were talking about it. And they were talking about flying heads. Uh, a creature, huh. and the, even the jalopy reports of people being chased by large owls. Yeah. So I think I think the essence of a real animal is underneath it.
1: I know we used to talk about thunderbirds a lot, Lauren, and uh, I remember that story you told us about a woman who went outside. Her, her her little boy was being picked up by one, and she's swatting it with a broom. Oh, yeah. And it dropped him.
0: The Marlo Lowe story yeah. in the in Logan. County, Illinois. I mean,
1: could Mothman be a Thunderbird? It, it
0: could be. It could be. I think the distinction there is that the Thunderbirds, and there's lots of reports going on in southern Alaska, by the way, right now. Still. Yeah. And those reports tend to look like a giant condor, some kind of large bird that, uh, from the Pleistocene. Like a 10
1: or 12 foot wingspan. Yes, absolutely. Right?
0: They They actually existed. Most people think they're extinct, but they might still exist whereas the ones in Appalachia which are up the reports of the mothman like mm-hmm. creature and mothman's just a local name but they're look like giant owls
1: that would be astounding to see wouldn't oh, you oh yeah and
0: would it would it be, be scary
1: if you saw an owl 6 or 7 feet sitting on a road just standing there that would be kind of jarring
0: well well part of what they seem to do is they're able to fold up their wings and look like a tree trunk. So a lot of people are driving along in West Virginia. Yeah. They never see them. They think it's a tree trunk. And, and they then also, they
1: move, right? Right.
0: And some of, the, some of the reports of Bigfoot standing near trees may be these big hoots.
1: That could be too. Yeah. Absolutely. Romantically, don't we want to believe that these creatures are much more than something that could be natural?
0: A lot of people do, but a lot of people are romantic zoologists, and they're very happy to Just get an answer. Yeah, just get an answer, and to know that they're part of zoology. Like you said earlier, it's a very unknown world. There's lots of animals out there, and there are lots of mysteries. So we may go either way. But the other thing is that a lot of us tend to not want to be pigeonholed. So a lot of people come to me, and they say, you're a cryptozoologist. You must think that all of these creatures have a natural, you know, zoological mm-hmm. explanation. That's my basis. I have degrees in zoology sure. and anthropology, but I'm open and minded enough. I'm a Fordian I'm right? Fortian, a follower of Charles Fort, and so I can look across. You know, maybe UFOs are involved. Maybe. You know, fourth dimensional beings are involved. I don't concentrate on those, but that doesn't mean that I don't accept the possibility.
1: Well, you know, the easiest answer is the most obvious answer, most of the time. You know, we, we you know, if somebody sees a flying object, most of the time one could say it's a satellite or a plane or something like that. But there's always that hidden little possibility that it's something else. And I think that's what drives people like you and me, Lauren, to keep looking for these answers. Absolutely. We want to find out what's going on.
0: Right, right. And I think the even easier answer is those people that are total debunkers. That they say they don't exist, you know, no...
1: No matter what.
0: Yeah, no news here, move on. But we now know from studies that fakes and hoaxes are only 1% of all the reports. Exactly. They get 95% of the publicity, 95% of the newspaper stories, they'd rather have a hoax story because it has a beginning, middle, and end, and they can move on to their you know,
1: politics story. When I talk with Linda Moulton Howe about crop formations, and, uh, and I say, you do know most of them are probably hoaxes, most of them, and she gets all upset because she wants to believe that these things are real. Yeah. And I said, but Linda, you didn't hear what I said. I said, most of them are probably hoaxes. Yeah. That means if there's just one that is made under some kind of supernatural environment, that's a major story. And I said, I'm saying that's a possibility. Right. And then she stops and goes, hmm, maybe you're right.
0: <laughs> it's like that line in the movie you know, you mean one in a million? There's a chance. <laughs> and there is. We have to be realistic. About exactly. It. Loch
1: Ness creatures and lake monsters. Tell me about your expertise there.
0: Well, I went on expedition 1999 to mm-hmm. Loch Ness. Uh, I, I've you know, written a book called The Field Guide to Lake Monsters and Sea Serpents. So I've really examined it. I've been to lakes all over the country, including to Quebec. Uh, there's quite a few lakes up there that have lake monsters. Indeed, uh, in my books, I actually talk, there's 1,000 lakes in the world that have a defined monster.
1: 1,000? 1,000. One wow. That doesn't
0: mean that they're all cryptids in the way that right. we know cryptids. There
1: could be 99% natural animals and right. species.
0: We, we, for instance, some of these lake monsters are said to look like alligators. Some of them, uh, for instance, uh, in Utah, uh, I did a whole chapter on the lake monsters there that all seem to look like giant beavers Mm -hmm. uh, from the prehistoric times, from Ice Age, from Pleistocene. And if that's true, then those connect up with reports in um, Manitoba. Manitoba has a lot of lakes that report creatures that are gigantic rodents. And so... You look at these thousand lakes. You've got to define them. There's different animals being reported, and then there's the, you know, maybe a hoax here, like in uh, Lake George in New York, long time hoax. Exactly. Uh, but there's also ones that may be wave action. Uh, the the thing about lake monsters that's sort of disappointing, is. You don't have physical evidence the same way you do with the well, land. Well,
1: scientists, for example, looking for Nessie have been looking for DNA samples. Most recently, they're trying to get DNA out of the, out of the lock right. to determine if Nessie's there. So, so, do you th- so do you think they'll ever find DNA evidence which will show that Nessie is a creature from this planet? I don't think there's anything supernatural about it, but a creature that we just never discovered before.
0: I think there's less likelihood that it's a creature we never discovered. It's more likely that it's a creature from 10,000 years ago. Ah, like uh, a
1: plesiosaur, maybe? Well, a
0: plesiosaur is 65 million. Right. So I'm less likely, if you're from the United Kingdom and a scientist, you think the plesiosaur is your number one answer. If you're an American scientist interested in lake monsters, you really usually think it's a mammal, uh, a giant seal, or an ancient whale. And so it may Uh be one of those. Because once again, like the sea serpents, lake monsters move up and down, which tells us they're not a fish, they're not a reptile, not even a prehistoric reptile, they're some kind of mammal.
1: Years ago, Lauren, there was a National Geographic picture, I always will remember it, uh, that was a color picture that I think some Japanese photographers took of what looked like a flipper or a fin deep in the lock, and to me it looked like a plesiosaur fin. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if uh,
0: that's Robert Rines. Who yeah, who was a that was it, yeah, Robert Rines, a New York scientist, and he did the sky side scanner. So the, a flash of light goes off, and they were able to capture that. They had to enhance a little, which has been opened them to a it lot was of a criticism. Flipper, right? But it was a flipper. It looked like it was, but you have flippers on seals too. Same, same so style. Same style. So it's con- uh, convergent evolution gives us animals in water that could be you know, a dolphin or a seal or actually a shark. So lo- those kinds of things look enough alike that people are getting confused right. because they sometimes, cryptozoologists get bound up in explaining it and I'm kind of like Jack Webb just give me the facts, facts ma'am. ma'am. Yeah. You know, be, if we facts. can just have the facts, let's look at the facts, let's see what's really here, and then let's go after the evidence.
1: Stephen Alton says that Nessie could be a large eel, and he says there have been some huge teeth discovered. What do you think of that?
0: Well, I, I think that he's on better ground by looking at some of the large tracks found on Loch Ness shore. Sure that may be these eels.
1: Like a snake.
0: Yeah. Almost. Like a like a snake. We do know that there's larvae of eels that have been enormous. So if that's the larva, the adult must be huge. Right. And we think that in some of the oceans, he may be right.
1: And they know, may like, swim like you said. Yeah, right? they may
0: be they may be able to do anything they want. But can <laughs> we'll, you imagine
1: yeah. a six inch a tooth? Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable how'd you like to get chomped by that?
0: Uh, no, thanks.
1: No, yeah. not at all. What about Champy?
0: Champ is uh America's Loch Ness monster. Lake Champlain. There's been active reports since 1812. And that's
1: up there near New it's, York. It's actually
0: New York. Uh, Vermont, and Quebec, they all share Lake Champlain. Okay. And it's a huge lake. Uh, it's very deep. Loch Ness is 1,000 feet deep. That's a deep lake. It is deep. And we know that there is some death depth to Lake Champlain, and there is a way through water zones and overland to get to Lake Champlain. And there actually have been some records of harbor seals from the ocean in Lake Champlain, uh-huh. so there may be something there that we don't know about. Is that freshwater? It's definitely freshwater. There's been Japanese. I've been there with the Japanese. I've been with other expeditions uh, all the time, and so there's American and English expeditions going there. It's the kind of the hidden lake monster in our backyard that people sometimes would go all the way to Scotland to do Loch Ness when it's right here. When it's right here.
1: What does this tell you about the humankind, about where we're headed uh, as we contemplate all these cryptids and creatures? I think it's fascinating.
0: I do too. I think that as opposed to the interest levels going down, there's more young people involved in this. There's more people with higher technology, with more DNA studies, with a lot more very good, credible reports. I'm one of those scientists that I don't believe... In Lake Monsters, I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I'm open-minded, I'm skeptical, I accept or deny the evidence, and obviously I wouldn't still be doing this if 60 years later I didn't consider in a strong possibility there's new animals out there.
1: Well, you're one of the best, Lauren and of all these cryptids that we've talked about, which is the one that you think will probably come to the forefront and we're going to say, aha, we finally found one.
0: I think the one that will be discovered in our lifetime will be orang pendek, which is a little four-foot-tall creature in Indonesia that has been seen by scientists there. What does that look like? It's it's like a little orangutan, but it always is upright. It's almost like a little a hairy little, human Like being. a little dwarf or something? Yeah, well, you know the hobbits that people talk about? Yeah. Homo Forensius that was discovered in yeah. 2013. It may be one of those. It may be lingering on population of little hairy creatures.
1: Because where a uh, primate generally will walk kind of stooped over, this is a little more upright.
0: Very upright. It's uh, orangutans and the gorillas, and they stoop over. This is more human-like in which it's upright all the time. That will change anthropology forever.
1: Could it be a little human?
0: Yes, it could be a little human that's uh, a little different than all of the ones that we know.
1: I mean, pygmies are, how tall are pygmies?
0: Well, pygmies can be four feet tall. This one may be even shorter, three and a half feet, two feet tall.
1: Fully developed?
0: Fully developed. And we know they exist because we have fossil evidence. Could
1: they be what people have called in Ireland leprechauns?
0: Maybe, maybe part of it, maybe... The leprechaun memory and a lot of the little people memories from around the world may be ancestral remembrances of these little people.
1: And wouldn't it be great if these creatures were still alive?
0: Yes. We could actually not
1: skeletons, but the actual creatures.
0: Yes. And we could probably put a day aside whenever we discover them. And it will be one that we'll point to as the day they discovered the little people.
1: Lauren, for people who want to uh, track your work, how do they find you?
0: Well, through the museum is probably one of the best places, cryptozoologymuseum.com. Uh, and there's a link there for my emails and other correspondence, and that's probably the easiest.
1: And uh, some people have reported hearing Bigfoot screams in the woods. What yeah. do you think of that?
0: I think that's probably true. I think that they're... Uh, There's a lower population of Bigfoot, and one of the ways that they're communicating is valley to valley, so they have to vocalize in a way that uh, humans don't.
1: Fascinating. Well, keep up the good work, Well, thank you? you,
0: George. It's great being here with you.
1: Always. You know, I've been fascinated in cryptids since the Abominable Snowman when I was about 10 years old. Yeah. It's an amazing discovery one day. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com.